Hey everyone, today's book teaches a key lesson. If you ever get revenge on someone for cheating on you, they'll just say, see, that's why I cheated on you. You can't win, but do it anyway. Today's book is Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn. <laughs> I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm a comic, a father, and after reading this, now a frightened, suspicious husband. <laughs> and I'm David Vance. Since reading this book, now every year for tax season, I fake my death. Gone Girl is part murder mystery, part rom-com. It's what happens when you mix meat cute with meat hooks. <laughs> and this is The Book Pile. Reminder to please rate and review The Book Pile, because much like Amy from Gone Girl, we both look down on you and crave your admiration. <laughs> All right, Miss Jess Macher, Macher says, We happen to be taking a road trip over kids' spring break. Oh, man, at first that sounded very tragic. Uh, road trip over kids. <laughs> we happen to be taking a road trip over a kid's spring break, and now we've listened to several of your episodes. We appreciate your humor and really enjoy the podcast, even if our kids were bored. Okay. <laughs> this is the first time I'm reading this. <laughs> it kept the drivers entertaining, gave the kids a more authentic road trip experience. Man, and they really lean into it. Like, you know how kids are bored in the car? <laughs> <laughs> Those kids could be like three or four. <laughs> and they haven't left a review, so it's the parents that count. <laughs> Call me when they're monetizable. <laughs> I did a bunch of shows in Alaska last week, and one of them was at this theater that didn't have an age limit, and there were literally children in the crowd. And like, I already tell people, like, I, I work relatively clean, but I don't think kids are going to think I'm entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> and I know this, because when we did our live show... Kellen heckled my nephew in the crowd. <laughs> well, I did it that night, too, because there was a baby. <laughs> there was a baby. At our live show, my two-year-old nephew called out, Yay, funny Dave. And the whole crowd awed, and Kellen said, That's not going to get old. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so crazy to me that you... I mean, they checked my ID at the door, so what are they doing? Like, are you... Have you been born? Great. <laughs> Birth certificate, check. Yesterday, perfect. <laughs> All right, a big announcement. We're going to be having our next live podcast in Provo, Utah, Saturday, June 4th at a venue called The Hive Collaborative. It's a beautiful little theater there in Provo. Go to thehivecollaborative.com for tickets. We're also looking to do shows this year in Los Angeles and possibly Seattle. If you want us to come to your town, let us know by emailing us at thebookpilepodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, buy your plane tickets for Provo, Utah, June 4th. We're going to hit record this time. <laughs> well, no, we hit record. We're going to hit save this time. <laughs> and we will be roasting the Twilight Saga colon eclipse. All right, if you want to see me live, I'll be at the Pittsburgh Improv, May 27th to the 29th, No Babies Allowed, and then at Bananas Comedy Club <laughs> in Rutherford, New Jersey, June 24th to the 25th. Go to kellenerskin.com for tickets. What are you going to do if this joke starts prompting listeners to bring their babies more often? <laughs> <laughs> be like, there's a two-item minimum, and mashed bananas is not on the menu. <laughs> 
A quick content warning to whom it may concern, especially if you have kids that are considering reading this, I can't recommend it to them. I give it a pretty hard R rating with language and some graphic violence, but also a couple sexually explicit scenes, which we won't be discussing on this episode, and which aren't really my cup of tea when it comes to novels anyway. So while the story was very compelling, I personally probably won't be reading from this author again. Also, we don't always spoil books, but it would be pretty impossible to discuss this story without giving away major spoilers. So if you're planning on reading it, maybe do that first and then come back to this episode. I had like five major spoilers in my opening jokes. (laughs) (laughs) So safe to say. (laughs) All right. And without further ado, here are five lessons that we took from Gone Girl. All right. Lesson one, no one thinks they're the bad guy. Both characters in this book are not good people. But Amy is comedically evil. Mm. The way I think about her is she has a strong moral compass that points exactly the wrong way. (laughs) And what's fascinating is the whole time you see her perspective where she is the heroine of the story. Mm -hmm. There's a part where she has faked her death, faked a pregnancy, framed her husband for murder, framed him for sexual deviancy, stolen his money, and is about to murder a different man who loves her. And she writes like she's a rom-com character. She says... (laughs) Nick and I fit together. I am a little too much, (laughs) and he is a little too little. I am a thorn bush, and he is a man of a million little fatherly stab wounds, and my thorns fit perfectly into them. Like, she's a serial killer who thinks she's an ingenue. (laughs) (laughs) And she's just so selfish all the time that it becomes hilarious. She says, when someone dies and the relatives carry on, you always hear them say, so-and-so would have wanted it that way. I don't want it that way. (laughs) Something that I found fascinating about this book is that you do get to alternately uh, hear from each of these main characters. And even though both of them are terrible people, it is interesting the whole like both sides of the story that you get, Uh (laughs) where even though you still maintain this horrible opinion of them, but you also kind of get where they're coming from. (laughs) Uh I had that realization in politics when... One party will call out another party on something bad, even though their party does the same thing. (laughs) And one day I realized, oh, you can be hypocritical and right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I I do that all the time when I tell my kids to stop looking at screens. (laughs) (laughs) There's also a part in the book where Nick is trying to lure her back with praise and someone says... Won't she know you're flattering her? And he says basically, oh no, she never doubts a compliment. She never thinks a compliment is given to her for any reason other than that it was absolutely true. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I, I bring this up because we may not be as bad as Amy, But I think we all think we're the good guy, Mm -hmm. and we're really good at cutting ourselves slack morally. Mm -hmm. George Saunders talks about seeing a photo of Nazis out dancing and cracking jokes on the weekend, and he realized, oh, they thought they were the good guys. My family used to have a lot of debates about George Washington, instigated by me. (laughs) But then one day I realized, like, oh, he's dead. It doesn't matter to him what any of us thinks about him. The only thing that matters now is if we learn from him. Like, if we say, okay, this man 
did a ton of good, wanted to be virtuous, and he also had a huge blind spot on slavery. Okay, so what are my blind spots? Like, Mm. what are people going to look back on and be horrified by about me? And how can I hide that part of my past? I think that's what you're getting at. (laughs) Something else that I just learned about both of us, too, is that I don't know if it's because you're from Idaho, probably, but I realized that you pronounced the word lure, lure, and I (laughs) pronounce it Lure. And I don't know if I'm saying it correctly or if by my pronouncing it that way makes me sound like someone who has definitely lured someone. (laughs) Yeah, you definitely seemed to savor saying that word. (laughs) I also hope that you got nothing that I said in the last three minutes because you were sitting on that lure gotcha. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Lesson two. Tell and then show. This is how I like to surprise my doctor with everything wrong with me. Uh, <laughs> like, hey, ever heard of leprosy? Abracadabra, my fingers are gone. Now, I just list the symptoms, then drop the robe. <laughs> <laughs> this is just such a great storytelling policy. You always hear show, don't tell, but I think you do both and you do it in reverse order. And Flynn does an excellent job of doing this, of letting us know exactly who her characters look like by telling us. But then we also feel like we understand who they are by what she shows us about them. So when describing Nick, she says, he looks like the rich boy villain in an 80s teen movie. And that right there <laughs> is already just such a great description. Uh-huh. Then she follows it up with action. The one who bullies the sensitive misfit, the one who ends up with a pie in the face, the whipped cream wilting his upturned collar as everyone in the cafeteria cheers. And another part, she says, he has a cat's smile. So there's the tell. And then she says, he should cough out yellow Tweety Bird feathers when he smiles, which is such a great, like, cartoonish, but also sort of evil sort of Uh (laughs) smile. And my favorite one is later when Nick is describing himself, he mentions that he has a cleft in his chin and a punchable face. And it's like, yeah, no wonder Ben Affleck was cast in this role. (laughs) She talks about this high caliber sleazy lawyer who has a mini fridge full of Clamato. (laughs) It's such a great way to tell us who this guy is. She says, he drank it in three swallows and dabbed his lip with a cloth napkin. And you're just like, ugh, I hate this guy. Like, what are you trying to prove, buddy? (laughs) Along this subject, too, like at what tax bracket do you hit where you have to stop eating fun stuff? <laughs> I've worked on a few luxury cruises where every meal is five star. That's just how those things operate. And it gets boring for me so fast. Yeah. And like, I know that I have the flavor palette of a nine year old, but honestly, like, caviar isn't great rabbit escargot it's like i forget who it comes from but it's that idea that your behaviors are shaped by the group you're trying to impress Mm. (laughs) i think that explains caviar (laughs) and now that i've told you that i have the palate of a child i can show you what i mean because whenever i leave a fancy restaurant (laughs) i find that the amount i tipped would have bought me a meal at a place i rather would have eaten (laughs) So then when Nick is describing Amy to a friend, he says, 
She is never wrong, and she loves to teach lessons, dole out punishment. And then he tells a story about this one time when she was driving the car, and she wouldn't let a trucker in, so he flipped her off. So Amy has her husband call the how's my driving number and complain. Then two months later, he walks into her on the phone with the same number, telling a made-up story about how she was in the car with her two-year-old, and the same driver had nearly run them off the road. It's just such a wild story, but it's a it's a great way to feed us exactly who she is. Also, the fact that the husband's alarm bells didn't go off in that moment. <laughs> the fact that he was like, that's weird. Honey, do we have any jam? <laughs> yeah, this book could have been called What Red Flags? <laughs> I just came up with an image of like the honeymoon stage when you're when you first have a crush on someone and you're infatuated with each other. It's almost like you take their red flags and just wear them as a blindfold. <laughs> like no, that's a great metaphor. Everything's cool. She's perfect. <laughs> I mean, yeah, when the pizza was like she punched a hole in the wall, but I mean, it was so cute. <laughs> All right, lesson three, everything is borrowed. I want to start with a great quote from the book. At one point, Nick says, we were the first human beings who would never see anything for the first time. I can't recall a single amazing thing I've seen firsthand that I didn't immediately reference to a movie or TV show. And the worst thing, the secondhand experience is always better. The image is crisper, the view is keener, the camera angle and the soundtrack manipulate my emotions in a way reality can't anymore. Hmm. Now I realize this is an ironic quote for us to read while asking you to experience the world's great literature, but only for 30 minutes with jokes. <laughs> but one of the interesting themes of this book is that everything is kind of a copy. Even when Nick apologizes for cheating on Amy, he's just mimicking Hugh Grant's apology for sleeping oh, with a prostitute, yeah. which would have been a very different sense and sensibility scene. <laughs> <laughs> I bring this up because... My personal fear is that none of my ideas come from me. They're all just something I read and then forgot that I read them. <laughs> and I'm not even sure that fear comes from me. <laughs> but now I'm realizing, you know, maybe it's fine that nothing is original because we don't always have to be special. <laughs> you know that I have strong opinions about this, too, and that ultimately... <laughs> Ultimately, the only time that I have a hard time with it is when someone is like, I'm going to paint my own starry night. And it's like, no, just paint <laughs> your painting. Like, <laughs> look out your window and paint that because that's what he did. Uh -huh. right? Van Gogh wasn't like, all right, now this will be my Mona Lisa. Instead, he was like, <laughs> screw that. I can't paint faces. That's literally something that he became self-aware of. He didn't like it about himself, but he's like, whatever, I'll just I'll paint some spirally things. Whoops, the most famous painting in history. It is so fun to people's limitations leading to breakthroughs because like apparently Jackson Pollock was a terrible drawer. <laughs> I think of Jackson Pollock as the ultimate like fake it till you make it hustler. Oh yeah. It's insane. I want to <laughs> What is that conversation between Jackson and Leonardo da Vinci? Like does da Vinci even try like, "Oh man, yeah, that's I could never just sort of accidentally spill paint the way you do." <laughs> All right. Lesson four, 
What's better than an unreliable narrator? Two of them. <laughs> uh, I just realized that the way that I introduced that lesson is how we should introduce our podcast every time. <laughs> it is nice that we can say things fully believing they're true. And if they're wrong, we can say that we're comedians. <laughs> And I know that most of the time we try and have like actual applicable takeaways uh, in this podcast, but this time it's not. I just thought it was really innovative of Flynn to have this structure that I hadn't experienced before of two narrators that are unreliable in their own special ways. So you don't even know that Amy is unreliable till halfway through the book. Then mm -hmm. it's this big reveal as to just how unreliable she's been because you realize we've been reading a fake diary that she's been reverse engineering. Uh -huh. But then after that, she's extremely reliable. It's a, And it's a crazy <laughs> slap in the face. Also, I want to let everyone know you can totally do this. <laughs> like I did it on my taxes. You, <laughs> you can just buy a diary and put in past dates. Like you, <laughs> no one is stopping you. And coming off the heels of Matthew McConaughey's <laughs> book, I suspect that that's what every autobiography is. <laughs> One time when we were little, I found my brother's diary and I wrote commentary in the margins. <laughs> <laughs> It was a really uncool thing to do, but I thought it was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> so then Nick's unreliability is less sophisticated. You just get to a point where you're not sure what to believe because he'll end his thoughts to the reader with ellipses. <laughs> like he'll end a chapter with, I wasn't lying to my wife, at least not about this thing. <laughs> Dan Brown loves those chapter <laughs> endings. <laughs> I would just say one of my favorite chapter endings of all time is in this book when he discovers the last clue that his wife has left him. He opens this woodshed and he sees the contents and the end of the chapter is him just saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> Boy, did I turn that page. I'm realizing reading this book that it's probably actually easy to frame someone if your cops suck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, lesson five. Beware the pride paradox. Amy does this thing, I think a lot of us do, where she looks down on every character in this book but she also needs them all to love her and think she's perfect. <laughs> and I think we all do that when we're feeling arrogant or superior, where we think of someone else as a nobody, and we want them to know we're a somebody. But if they're really a nobody, why do we care what they think? <laughs> and the older I get, the more I think pride is the opposite of confidence, or I, I think it's just insecurity disguised as confidence. Mm. Also, there's, there's two great quotes here. Maria von Ebner Eschenbach said, We are so vain that we even care for the opinion of those we don't care for. <laughs> and E.W. Howe said, I never knew a man so mean that I was not willing he should admire me. <laughs> this is what I've tried to explain to comics, too, because it, it can be a desperate thing if a comic isn't doing well for them to say something like, I don't care. 
Because it's like, <laughs> if you didn't care, then you wouldn't say that you didn't care. I know. <laughs> the only comic I've ever met who truly didn't care and never said anything about it was Norm MacDonald. Mm. And he loves stand-up, but man, he walked people every show, which is when people walk out of a comedy show that they have paid for. And I know it's because uh, half the people going to see Norm were just going there to see Turd Ferguson from Celebrity Jeopardy. and <laughs> But then uh, he would commit to like a bit about Hitler for 12 minutes, and uh, it wasn't for everyone. <laughs> I admire that he wouldn't bail on the Hitler bit if it was bombing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Much like Germany. <laughs> All right, random facts. This book is about a woman getting revenge on her husband for cheating. And I think the best example of that is Beyonce making lemonade. Because, one, she made an album so good that no one will ever forget Jay-Z cheated. (laughs) And two, she basically told her millions of fans all around the world, keep an eye on this man. I haven't listened to it, but I'm assuming it's called Lemonade because she made it out of lemons. Yeah, she has this quote from her grandma saying that she had made lemonade out of her life of lemons, and it's really sweet. Well, I'll have to check it out, but I also think (laughs) that maybe the advice she was actually heeding was, um, when life gives you lemons, monetize them. (laughs) So if you didn't hate Ben Affleck enough, and if you want to know how he truly embodies this unlikable character in this book, when he was shooting Gone Girl, he shut down production for four days because he wouldn't wear a New York Yankees hat in the film. (laughs) There's nothing you can say. That would redeem that. What a douchebag. He's a Red Sox fan, and even for $10 million. So to be clear, he will play adulterers and racists and things like that. Mm -hmm. But his line is Yankees fan? Yeah. I I have zero respect for a guy, and this is way too many guys, who are more loyal to their dumb sports team than they are to their wife. (laughs) Like, you've never heard a story like that, right? Like, sorry, honey, I was on a business trip. I I slipped and I I rooted for the Cubs last week. (laughs) I was so drunk. It won't happen again. (laughs) But maybe if you won more. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm just a bandwagon spouse. (laughs) Have we talked about JFK? My in defense of bandwagoners argument. Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, and, and I'm on board with it because I'm already so bored with most sports that why not pay attention to an exciting team? <laughs> my girlfriend always gives me crap for being a bandwagon fan, and she grew up in LA. And to be clear, the Dodgers, Lakers, and Rams have all won a championship during the pandemic, and UCLA went to the Final Four. <laughs> Of course, she doesn't need to be a bandwagon fan. (laughs) One of the characters in this book, Detective Boney, is described as a shockingly ugly woman. (laughs) And Kellen, you've mentioned this before. 
how do you diplomatically cast that part? (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, anytime in a show or movie, there's a joke about a character's appearance. I always wonder, how did the writer pitch that joke to the actor? (laughs) Like, hey, hey, person who's probably always obsessing about how they look because it's your job. Mm. I have this great joke about how you look. (laughs) (laughs) One of the lamest attempts at this, though, the most contrived version of this situation is, I want to say it's in the movie Click with Adam Sandler. He interrupts a board meeting and he tells this one guy to shut up. He's like, shut up, Colonel Sanders. And you see this guy and it is clearly just a guy that they made look like Colonel Sanders. (laughs) (laughs) It makes zero sense. It's just this business meeting, and there's a guy who happens to have a little white beard and a bolo tie. (laughs) It's like, come on. This was not (laughs) ad-libbed. Kellen, have you heard about the Gone Girl case? No. So this big news story a few years ago was that this woman faked her kidnapping. And everyone said, oh, ha ha, just like in Gone Girl. And that was all I knew about it. I looked it up today. She didn't fake it. The police just said she faked it. And then the press totally ran with it. So this poor woman gets kidnapped from her house. Horrific experience. The police spend the first 18 hours trying to get the boyfriend to confess to her murder. She finally shows up and they say, oh, it was all a hoax. This couple owes an apology to the community for wasting our time. Months later, there's conclusive proof she was actually kidnapped, and then that guy gets arrested and goes to prison. Even now, the couple says there was more than one kidnapper, and the police are like, nope, only one. And also, the the police didn't apologize to the couple for six years. (sighs) So it gets called the Gone Girl case. The only similarity with Gone Girl is that the police were always wrong and always confident. (laughs) Anyway, if you were thinking of moving to Vallejo, California, (laughs) know that their police department now has 1.5 stars on Google. (laughs) So the only other part that I sort of rolled my eyes at in this book was in Amy's last letter to her husband, her last clue for their anniversary, uh, where his name is Nick Dunn. And she ends the note with, you're done. (laughs) And it's just like, ugh, it's that moment where you realize (laughs) that he probably had a different name up until this point when she was writing the book. And then she's like, hold on, (laughs) licks her quill. (laughs) And should I name her Amy Gone? No, that's too far. (laughs) Find and replace. To me... Uh, A couple other names that are way too on the nose are Severus Snape and Mm. uh, Jonathan Livingston (laughs) Seagull. Not every seagull is named (laughs) Seagull. Halfway through the book, you're like, oh, this is why. (laughs) I would love if you got through that whole book and didn't realize he was a seagull. (laughs) Apparently, Gillian Flynn has sort of been accused of misogyny for how she writes women. And it's so funny to me because I guarantee you whoever came up with Hannibal Lecter wasn't accused of being sexist against men. (laughs) (laughs) Like, if someone writes good villains, just let them write good villains. It doesn't always have to mean something bad. (laughs) Also, I don't know how you can accuse someone of being a misogynist. When the main character is the smartest woman in the world 
who uh-huh. kills a man. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's really girl boss vibes to it, aren't there? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> you know how men are better than women? Because they're always three steps behind and then they get killed. <laughs> All right, to recap, our favorite lessons from Gone Girl. One, no one thinks they're the bad guy. Two, tell and then show. Three, everything is borrowed. Four, have two unreliable narrators. Five, beware the pride paradox. And six, if someone ever offers you millions of dollars for you to pretend to root against your team, just know that your team won't care. that's our book pile show thank you for listening oh yeah my name is dave listening 